Chapter 7 of Grimm, the Story of a Pike. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Goss45. Grimm, the Story of a Pike, by Sven Flirion. Translated by J. Muir. Chapter 7 The Rasper. The horde of marauders were chasing through the lake again, and behind them came the pike. These last did not go together, like the perch, and serried ranks at a furious hunting pace, but slunk along one by one from stone to stone and from weedy clump to weedy clump. Grim is with them, and like a seal she helps herself to the flying bleak, which in their terror rushed blindly into her jaws. It is quick work, but nevertheless not quick enough. The gluttony of the perch angers and irritates her. She feels her belly growing larger and her throat widening. She has room for more fish, mountains of fish. With a jerk of her body, she comes nearer, and is now right in the whirlpool of bleak and pert. Quivering and trembling, the little fish fly in all directions as she tears among them, and with strong beats of her tail to right and left, pursues her victims. Her eyes gleam, and her thin lips quiver with insatiable desire. A big, high-backed perch coolly makes a capture right in front of her. In his eagerness, he makes such a commotion in the water that it looks as if it were full of thick, shining snakes. Snap! Snap! And there goes the bleak right before her nose. This is more than she can endure. She dislikes this insolent lake dog in a still greater degree than when, as a young pike, she stayed in the shelter of the creek. His cunning and deceit, his ability to save himself and get her into a scrape, as of late, frequently irritated her. A moment later, while she is in the middle of the spring, he happens to be pushed by his comrades right in front of her mouth. Her jaws are already open, and the water is streaming in like a mill race. She sees the bleak fat upon the mouth of her plump opponent, and her ferocity and murderous lust are doubled. Then she gives away to the most innermost need of her being. With an enormous development of energy, intoxicated with the joy of capture, she attacks the rasper with the full strength of both her serrated jaws, opening them so wide, and dashing at him with such force that they engulf him to far down his plump hog back. The hundreds of little teeth with which her palate is paved have the same desire and the same purpose, to bore right in and hold fast. Just as the pike's attack is at its height, the rasper suddenly raises his twelve-spined dorsal fin. During his chase of the little fish, it had lain neatly folded like a fan along his back. Now it is transformed into a murderous weapon, and its bony ribs into a bundle of hidden sword blades, now stiff and sharp like polished bayonets, now elastically pliable like rapiers. Joyfully, Grim takes the big lump into her mouth. She feels that it pricks her, but the cavity of her mouth is not troubled with any exaggerated sensitiveness. Splendidly heavy and solid, the rasper feels as he lies upon her tongue. And yet, his rough tile-like scales and the very small amount of fat and slime on his skin make it unusually difficult for her to get the lump down. He is hurting her now. She quickly takes a better hold, even letting her prehensile teeth come into play and the long board-like tongue warp in cooperation. But no matter what she does or how wide she opens her mouth, her efforts are in vain. The high-backed one refuses to move beyond a certain point. Incomprehensible. Impossible. She tries again. Besides her tongue and her prehensile teeth, she brings the muscles of her throat into play, and the bones of her head expand like snakes. Colors dance before her eyes as the gullet opens and closes, trying to draw in the perch's head, but to no avail. The wedge remains immovable. The big mouthful is too big. So there is nothing to be done but give it up. Graham opens her mouth wide, relaxes her prehensile teeth, which, as readily as an adder's, turning on their hinges, return to the perpendicular. She opens her throat muscles as far as she can, and even pushes with her tongue. 
there. The torture in the spiked barrel is over. The prison is graciously open to the great perch. The rasper, who all through the battle, had been lashing out with a strong tail, which is hanging out of the pike's mouth, and throwing Grim from one side to the other, suddenly notices the loosening of the straitjacket and backs with a jerk. He thinks he is free, so easily does he swim now, although the darkness before his eyes is just as thick and oppressive. He is still in the pike's throat and cannot get away, for he has his twelve stiffest dorsal spines bored into his enemy's palate and the more he worries and works with his dangerous opponent, the deeper and more firmly do the spines fix themselves. In the meantime, Grim, true to her pike nature, has for a few moments lost nearly all of her energy. The spines begin to hurt her, and her mouthful on the whole to incommode her. She cannot get sufficient water over her gills, and what does filter into her mouth in spite of the gag is needed by the gag itself. She can feel it breathing inside her mouth, inconsistently with every indication of excitement. Its gill covers open and close and take the lion's share of the water. It is impossible for her to bear the suffocation any longer. She must have air. And in ungovernable rage, she begins to lash out with her tail. Now it is she who takes the upper hand and pushes the hog-backed one before her through the water. Thus the combat continues. Now it is Grim who has a mastery and shakes her opponent so that the perch's tail slaps her weakly on the cheeks and fetches her blow after blow upon the back of her neck. Now it is the Rasper's turn to use Grim as a ferule, running her against stones and water plants in the bottom and whirling her round. But no matter how much they exert themselves, it is without result. They do not succeed in getting away from one another. Faint and deadbeat, they fall over on their sides. The blood in their red gills scarcely circulates, and their strength is ebbing, and there is no longer any question of either being leader. They only take it in turns now to splash a little with their tails and try to right themselves. Grim, who is lying with her gills outside in the free water, is still alive and in possession of all her senses, but the Rasper is half dead. Then they float up and drift over the surface of the water like dead fish. Thunder is roaring over the lake. A scorching sun and oppressive heat have long foreboded the storm that is brewing, and now at last it has burst. The clouds and the water have met. A celestial salute begins rumbling and crackling a long way off in the farthest corner where the reed forests rally around the mouth of the brook. The lightning plows long, white-glowing fibrous sparks out of the somber purple horizon from which the showers come chasing and sweep over the lake, casting dark, threatening shadows before them. Under the fringe of forest on the lee side, where all the grebs have crept together, one of the big birds is lying at anchor. She is riding out the storm while the whirlwinds are playing touch over the deep water. She has no lines or fishing tackle out. She knows well that all angling is in vain. The water seals and boils on all sides. The great troughs of the waves are full of bursting bubbles. Little slate-colored showers dart about and plow up the surface of the water like the scratching of a cat on the skin. They dash themselves against the reedy margin and the edge of the wood, cutting broad lanes through them. All the fish have left the shallow water for the depths where they can lie far enough below the surface to escape the movement of the waves. Only the sheet fish, the old water hyena, is out roaming. But while the weather puts life into Oa, it brings her great opportunities. The fish cannot see in the rough water. They are thrown out of their course at one moment jumbled together, then separated, and one and another come to grief. It is corpse weather today. The angry waves stir up carrion from the bottom or carry it out from ridge and bank. She always gets so hungry in stormy weather, and feels as if she must go to the surface for air. Feeling her way with her sensitive barbels, she glides out of her hole to the east side of the submarine mountain slope. 
like a huge eel, she wriggles up to the surface, where she lies in wait, slowly drifting with the current. Rim's white belly is not turned down now. The color that makes fish look one with the water would have hidden her well enough for anyone looking up from below. Now her flecked sides and black back make a distinct stripe in the water. A cunning expression comes into Oa's little eyes. The queer fish with two tails attracts her. The storm is abating. The last heavy shower is over. A patch of blue sky peeps out like a smiling eye between the frayed swollen clouds. The lake sinks to rest, and even the pennons of the rushes hang loosely from their stalks, but in the distance can be heard the low rumbling of another storm. The boat takes advantage of the lull and is on her way home. Oa, hearing the swish of her bow, has only time to make a few hasty snaps at the big perch's already swollen belly. Her thick, fleshy lips are still pulling at the rasper's intestines as she slowly dives down into deep water. The gulls and terns, which have begun to gather about the spot, are filled with renewed hope and swoop down upon their prey with vociferous cries. Involuntarily, the angler's attention is attracted to them. He takes out his glasses, then rows nearer, and in another moment he has the two fish in his landing net. What a haul! A pike that has gorged itself on a giant perch. And it can only just have happened, for as soon as he has them in the boat, he puts his nose to them and smells that they are fresh. Perch, it is true, looks rather poorly, but that is probably because the gulls have been at him already, and he carefully begins to release it, and is greatly pleased when he discovers that the big voracious pike, which is quite lively, is one of his marked fish. Grim is furious, and tries to bite and snap while the happy angler makes a guess at her weight by swinging the landing net up and down in his hands. Ten pounds at the very lowest. No throwing this one back again. So she was once more in man's power, between his finger and nails. The light made her eyes prick and smart, the dry air stopped the course of her blood, and her scales rose in terror and pain. For the third time she was, as it were, in the heron's throat. Then at last she awoke, her sight returned, and the breath to her red gills. Her brain became clear, and she no longer felt that uncomfortable pressure on the back of her neck. Life was once more coursing through her veins. She was in water, and with a stroke of her tail she made for the bottom. Oh! She had run her nose against a stone. She turned away and tried to go to one side, but there was another stone. There were stones all around her. The fisherman had put her in the well of his boat. She would be all right there, for the present. The well was full of small fish, which at her appearance immediately crowded together in a corner. She scowled at them, but although her stomach was empty, she felt no desire to eat. She remained perfectly still in the darkest corner of the well, and took note in her own way of what went on around her. The English tread on the planks of the boat, his rattling with the oars and gear, his shouts and hailing of the sportsmen gliding past fastened themselves in her memory. Now and again a bushy plant came down and waved its stalks and leaves about her head. She wanted to get away from the bush, and started with the stroke of her tail, but she ran straight into the landing net. She could not tear the bushy plant, its numerous thick tendrils were so absurdly strong, and it increased her suspicion and gave her fresh experience. Deep down, Oa follows the boat and listens to the ripple of the water against the keeled breast of the great swimming bird. The old hyena, who had fed on the carrion of the lake for more than fifty years, knew all about the fishermen, with their little blinking bronze-colored eyes that lay floating at the sides of her heads, right out where the nostrils were generally placed in mammals. She gives careful attention to the refuse that the fisherman throws out when he cleans the dead perch. She dares not venture up to the surface. The sun is shining again, and there is no archipelago of water lily leaves under which she can hide her head. 
She must wait patiently until her perquisites descend. She also hears the splashing of the bird, and shouts and strange thumps on the boat planks, and she keeps her blue-black pupils fixed expectantly upon the great dark shadow up there. Who knows, some day perhaps a young one might drop out. As the angler nears the shore, he lifts the lid of the well and stood rejoicing over his catch. He saw the pike throw up her head, and was glad to find her still as lively as ever. And to think that heaven should at last reward him for his magnanimity. For the mark on the dorsal fin showed distinctly that this fish had been in his hands before. Grimm saw glimpses of the open water from which the dark land shadows and the form of the side of the boat shut her off. It must have been a ditch she had gotten into. Pool. Such mishaps had befallen her before on her annual wedding tours up in narrow channels and bogs. Well then, she knew what to do, and she crouched in a corner where she lay waiting for her opportunity. The angler should have replaced the lid before taking his usual nip. As it was, he was standing quietly, leaning back with crooked arm, when suddenly, with a tremendous leap, Grimm sprang out of the well and over the side of the boat, and with a splash disappeared into the lake. Funny thing, very funny, said a traveller a little later in the railway carriage to whom the angler had wrathfully related his story. But the angler himself saw nothing funny in it at all. End of chapter 7 Recording by Gosford E. Five.